0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome to the CAF America Radio Network, a production of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. As the leader in global giving, CAF America offers more than 20 years of experience and expertise to corporations, foundations, and individuals who wish to give internationally and with enhanced due diligence in the United States. Through its industry-leading grant management programs and philanthropic advisory services, CAF America helps donors amplify their impact. This show is dedicated to these donors and the charities they support. CAF America is uniquely positioned to serve as the bridge between these important partners and transforms vision into meaningful action. Guests on the CAF America radio network are leaders in their field who share tips for success and stories that inspire. Our host is Ted Hart, the CEO of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 914-338-0855. After the show, you can find all of our podcasts at CAFAmerica.org. Don't forget to dial 914-338-0855. Now, welcome the host of the CAF America Radio Network, Ted Hart.
1: And welcome to this latest edition of the CAF America Radio Network. Thank you for joining us today. Our topic today is Blurring the Borders with Giving, the Impact of High Net Worth Individuals on Diaspora Giving. And I'm thrilled to have... Uh, one of this country's leading experts in this area, Alex Dixon, who currently serves as the director of the Aspen Institute's Diaspora Investment Alliance. Uh, He most recently, before this position, served as senior advisor to USAID, uh, where he assisted missions and private investors with investment structuring and negotiations related to Power Africa, uh... prior to this uh... position he was vice president for africa at the small enterprise assistance fund uh, which is a global private equity firm that specializes in small business investing through its nineteen offices around the world uh, earlier in his career i think very impressively he was managing director of the enterprise development fund for africa development foundation adf uh... very rich ties to the development uh... community uh... one of the country's leading experts as i said uh, welcome here to the CAF America Radio Network, Alex Dixon. Oh thank you very much, Ted. Alex, we've got a very important topic today and, and to have you on the show to help us and help our listeners understand and learn more about uh this emerging and growing um area of uh of fundraising and giving around the world uh and that is the notion of diaspora giving so Let's kind of back this up a little bit because diaspora giving itself has been a very rich tradition of the expat and diaspora community um, in uh, in the United States for a very long time, but it's changing in a way that can be even more meaningful to the goals of various diaspora communities. So let's start off with just helping our listeners who may not be aware of what is a diaspora.
2: Sure, I mean, diaspora is a general term that's used basically to kind of um, and relate it to those uh, people in a particular country who are outside of those countries. Most It was most, I guess, commonly associated with the Jewish diaspora, but the term is basically kind of caught on is used commonly to refer to diaspora populations that are outside their uh, host countries. So it could be the Indian diaspora, the Colombian diaspora, the Kenyan diaspora, and that's just the community that's outside their country of origin.
1: So would it be fair to say that diaspora communities um, in the United States have a rich tradition of supporting uh, various uh, causes and programs and charities outside
2: of the U.S.? Oh, most definitely so, and I think they they are often the first line of kind of support for the community that's local to the U.S., and then they're also seen as another first line of support most immediately to their family members back home. And I think those lines have been extended over the last 10 years where we've seen even on the economic front where a lot of the Indian diaspora have been drivers for development of the Indian IT sector and economy. Uh, we all know about the call centers and all that growth that has taken place. And a lot of that was driven by diaspora entrepreneurs who saw the opportunity and who saw the, basically had an understanding of the U.S. market and had an understanding of the opportunity back home. So I think diaspora are definitely seen on the philanthropic side, as, as a huge, huge, huge source of giving, and even on the economic development side as a potential source. And I think we just read the other day that Prime Minister Modi in the U.K. Uh, had over 50,000 Indian uh, diasporas come out in the U.K. just to hear him speak. So, I mean, the population is growing in size and bounds and importance, and I think it's a steady source in that many international organizations sometimes have programmatic shifts, where the diaspora focuses constantly on the country, given their historical ties.
1: Yeah, so it, it, it's a natural first line, as you said, because these are um, expats who are here in the United States. Uh, many of them have become very successful um, in uh, various businesses or a line of activities that they may be involved with, uh, yet maintain not only a connection, Uh, back to their homeland, but a deep appreciation and understanding of the needs in their homeland. So moving on to the topic that you are now the director of, the Aspen Institute's Diaspora Investment Alliance, Um, how does this notion of diaspora and investment come together in the initiatives that you're involved with now?
2: Uh, for us, what we've done is we've taken a critical look at diaspora communities, and we've tried to move the conversation beyond the traditional remittance flows, which diaspora is the most associated for. And I think there's been a lot of research done over the last 10 years about the amount of remittances over 400 billion dollars, depending on the year, and you know how that dwarfs the official development assistance that's given by the major uh, by the major countries around the world. And what we've tried to do is kind of look at that from a different angle, saying that remittances are kind of family support mechanisms and kind of transaction capital that diaspora have. But we've tried to take a more broad approach and actually look at the wealth that the diaspora has, have created. And as you pointed out in your comments, that a lot of diaspora do have uh, substantial wealth that they've accumulated here. And even on a modest level, they've basically have accumulated wealth in the U.S., and what we've done is try to take a look at that wealth and try to figure out how is it held and then is, how can we create channels for them to channel some of that money back to their country of origin because that tends to be kind of the sticking point in the bigger pot uh, of wealth that can uh, be tapped. And just give you an example of the concentration of wealth once you kind of look at it, we looked at the Indian diaspora and it was identified that there were 67,000 Indian uh, millionaires in the U.S. with a kind of combined net worth of $200 billion. And even when we par that down and say, okay, maybe their financial assets uh, are probably on around $82 billion, that's a huge, huge number. That's just one diaspora uh, group and kind of one segment of the diaspora, the ultra-high net worth. You see the power of the collective wealth that the community holds and how that potentially has the ability to transform when you compare... The collective wealth against some endowments of the major foundations, which you know may top you know a couple of billion dollars, but they don't get anywhere close to eighty two billion dollars so you can see the importance of the potential importance that the diaspora can have uh as they collect if you look at it from a collective standpoint on the wealth front
1: and in in doing that kind of research across the communities. Um, What have you learned are some of the common themes of the communities and their interest in philanthropy uh, back in their homeland?
2: I think what we learned uh, most of all is that the diaspora are more interested in the philanthropy than the investing side. I mean, their primary goal and their primary uh, thing that they want to do is see some type of positive social change happen in the communities where they come from. So across the board, it was indicated to us that, you know, they look at the social impact primarily in making a decision and the investment second. And it was that lens that uh, we were given by them. We started looking at different ways that we can enhance their philanthropy and their giving, and that's one of the things that we've we've done and one of the things we're trying to do is uh, launch specialized donor-advised funds, what we call them diaspora-advised funds, where the diaspora can enhance the philanthropic giving and target it back to NGOs uh, in the countries of origin because we think that's a vital interest uh, of, of the community. And when you look at the sectors that they're interested in, they, it, it models you know exactly the sectors that traditionally people are interested in from health, education, water, and sanitation. So there's not a huge deviation from their level of interest and probably the only uh, difference that we've seen is that we've seen the first-generation uh, diaspora primarily have a interest in giving back to the exact communities where they come from, so it's a little bit more regional. And when we look at their children or second-generation diaspora, they tend to take more of a country approach, so they have a much broader scope and more are, are, sec- are focused on a sector.
1: Well, I think that's, that's probably not surprising as... as uh, uh, the interests of various families may grow beyond the the initial uh, departure from that country and uh, entrance in uh, into the United States. What kind of impact do you think a program like the Diaspora Investment Alliance can
2: have? I think the impact that we can have is that we are looking to kind of have a, gra- a kind of a, a ground up solution. Many times, I think, within the sector, a lot of times, solutions come up and then they're kind of sold to the diaspora. What we've done and what we're seeking to do is kind of get a solution that fits and meets the need of the diaspora so that we can assure the community buys into it. And more importantly than that, we're basically helping them advance the goals that they see and they've kind of set for themselves. So I think the biggest impact that we're going to have is that we can have a solution that's community-driven. Uh, one that is ensured to be supported and sustainable because, as I alluded to earlier, the diaspora interest level in the country of origin doesn't change. So I think we can have a huge impact by actually giving the diaspora a voice and giving them a mechanism to direct change and seeing where uh, where their funds can actually go. And then that would basically fit into the broader kaleidoscope of international giving, where a lot of, I think, foundations and, and organizations can actually see where the diaspora is targeting as far as, you know, sectors and areas of the country, and that might present an opportunity to basically work with those organizations or to basically shift their programming out where maybe it may not be needed uh, given the diaspora's interest and support of a particular region. So I think there's a lot that can be done and a lot of insight that also can be achieved by having the diaspora there. But more importantly, again, and I kind of hark back on this, is the sustainable Interest of the diaspora that I think is really key in that they have a, you know, a lifetime focus on their country of origin where sometimes it could be, you know, the focus of a lot of organizations, international organizations may change uh, based upon a humanitarian response or other factors that play in.
1: You, you mentioned uh, making a difference and having uh, a, an impact. Let's talk a little bit about CAF America's uh, role specifically with the Diaspora Investment Alliance. We're very proud to to be your chosen partner. But help our listeners understand what does that partnership mean.
2: I think that partnership mean, has meant the world to us uh, in really organizing this effort and kind of allowing us to concentrate on really getting this uh the fund up and the idea out, and that CAF America, through its expertise in managing funds and international giving, has given us a trusted and reliable partner that we can go back to the diaspora and say because a lot of a lot of what they wanted they wanted to have a trusted intermediary and a trusted party that would ensure them that the money that they do give is used in a in a compliant factor in a regulatory compliant manner, but more importantly, that is dispersed in a very efficient manner where, excuse me, a lot of um, funds aren't used for administrative overhead and so forth, so the impact really gets there. And I think that CAF actually provides us that expertise and that solution and that we feel comfortable in going back to the diaspora and presenting CAF as as that partner who can execute and help them achieve uh, their goals back in their country of of origin. And I think CAF's pedigree internationally uh, doesn't compare to any other organization that we saw and even as we look at other groups, one of the big challenges that we foresee and kind of that we've kind of been um, teased with so far is that as we look at the U.S. groups, then we also then get interest from the U.K. diaspora and then we also get interest from the Canadian diaspora. And CAF, uh, again, has been one of those unique partners where we can start talking about how do we expand this effort and how do we expand this giving to beyond just the U.S. diaspora. and I think. CAF is uniquely placed to help us answer those questions, and CAF has been kind of a trusted and reliable thought leader uh, with us as we started exploring this idea, and you and your team have been uh, a big supporter of us over the last 12 months, and this is something that we hope to kind of carry out, but I think the biggest thing that CAF brings to the table for us is the reliability and the credibility and the pedigree of his expertise in the space that we can ensure the diaspora that we're working with a quality partner.
1: Alex I think a phrase that is way too uh overused uh is game changer um but this uh directive this this direction for diaspora giving that you and the Aspen Institute are creating is truly uh game changing and and the reason for that is because the current state of the diaspora's ability to give and to support to charities. Um, is vastly different from the benefits that they will receive and the opportunities that they will receive by giving through the, the Diaspora Investment Alliance. H- help our listeners um, understand what's happening now, because we we know that mm-hmm. the diaspora is giving and is loyal to their countries and wants to make a difference, versus what they will have and, in terms of protections and benefits by working through the Diaspora Investment Alliance.
2: Sure. I mean, the current state of diaspora giving is kind of a one-off affair. A lot of people are giving to existing organizations that they've found or they've been associated with over the years. And many times they are not receiving the tax benefits of those giving. They've been giving for years, and this is just a passion uh, that they have. And then there's also a segment of the community that wants to give, but they don't have enough information on which NGOs they should give to, you know, kind of who are the credible ones, who are the not credible ones, and the diaspora, I think, is kind of uniquely positioned versus kind of uh, the average American in that they actually have knowledge that maybe some malfeasance took place in the NGO sector in their country before. So it probably makes them a little bit more nervous and really more of um, more demanding of having a quality, uh, transparent partner. So one of the things that we've seen and as we've started going out uh, trying to approach this problem is that we know that we needed to provide a greater level of information uh, to the diaspora. So our solution has been that we're actually going to set up uh, portals in each of the communities that we're looking to work in and those initial communities like Kenya, India, and the Philippines that will go out and identify a handful of NGOs to start with, and those NGOs will be vetted from a compliance standpoint and kind of a, a mission standpoint that we can present to the diaspora to give them kind of an initial set. But it also then provides a base for them to then contribute and recommend their own organizations that they're associated with so I think it has the ability to allow the diaspora to grow the list organically and kind of almost with a crowdfunding uh, type of uh, secondary benefit that this list will grow over time to groups that are important to the community and that the community is looking to support, but also provide a level of transparency that they are seeking as far as information uh, with those organizations and also provide a, uh, a re- window for those organizations to communicate with through the diaspora and this has been tried, and we've talked to groups in Kenya, you know, a lot of people have tried to do this. And the challenge that it's faced is that a lot of the small kind of second, third-tier organizations that are doing great work on the ground in the community just don't have the wherewithal to have a U.S. presence, to have a U.S. office, and to really talk to the diaspora. And these are the organizations that the diaspora really want to identify and really find because they know those organizations are out there and they know how important they are. So I think it's a good match if we can get this portal and we can get the donor-advised fund uh, functioning with CAF that we can provide an efficient conduit for them to channel their donations back to these groups and at the same time provide them more transparency because I think it will be a game-changer in that we can unlock uh, a lot of the capital that they sit on for providing them a platform that is both regulatory compliant and also at the same time ensures them transparency and so they can see how their uh, donations are being used by those organizations.
1: You've mentioned concepts like transparency and regulatory compliance and tax deductibility and giving safe to uh, impactful uh, organizations. Where did these concepts come from? Did you hear from the diaspora uh, in terms of concerns that they had about giving in a big way? Um, how, how did that information then help guide the creation of this program?
2: Sure. During, uh, when we first started the project, we went out and did a lot of research. We actually had a number of private dinners, town hall meetings with different diaspora groups. And we sat down and actually presented them different ideas and different discussion points about philanthropic giving, different vehicles, different issues. And from those conversations, one of the big things that emerged was this issue of transparency. And there a number of diaspora groups and individuals that in those groups told us, you know, kind of across the board was that, you know, everyone assumes that I'm from Kenya and I know exactly the organizations to can give to in Kenya, but the reality is I don't. I'm not. You know, I've been in the U.S. 20 years and I'm working all the time and so forth. I don't have a viewpoint or kind of a, a view into the right NGOs to give, and I need information just as just as well as anybody else. And that was consistent uh, throughout the groups in that they really uh, people assume that they have information because they're they're uh, from the country, but a lot of times they don't have the right information or the information that they they're, they're used to. Uh, such as kind of looking at Charity Navigator and deciding which U.S. NGO. A lot of them are accustomed to that type of information. They're looking for that type of transparency. And then with regards to how efficiently they give, you know, we've asked, we did a survey and we asked individuals, you know, how much would you be willing to give of your portfolio of your investment returns? if you also could get a benefit of a tax deduction and across the board that was another overwhelming response and say, so, you know, I would definitely give more. Right now I'm only giving a thousand dollars to this group, I'm giving ten thousand dollars to this group. But if I was actually getting a tax deduction and I could figure out a way to do that, I would actually give more. So I think both of those uh, points came out very clearly to us from the conversations that we had with the diaspora. Uh go ahead.
1: Well, Alex, you have experience with both nonprofits and the banking sector, and you've mentioned donors who want to give, but also the benefit of, of charities um, who would like to have a voice with donors, would like to have that diaspora support, but but don't know, you know, how to reach that. Um, how is, are you creating this ecosystem where all of those parties can come together in a safe and effective way?
2: Sure. What we've done is that we we realize that we need to have local partners. So we've been fortunate enough uh, to find and identify some good local partners on the ground. In Kenya, we have Kenya Commercial Bank. And in India, we have Yes Bank. And in the Philippines, we have the Commission for Overseas Filipinos. And what these organizations are allowing us to do is have existing efforts which are already engaged with the NGO community uh, in the country of origin. And what we're seeking to do is to leverage that base so with Kenya Commercial Bank they have a foundation. The foundation has historically been giving uh to small organizations in the community. And what we're basically looking to do is to leverage uh their infrastructure that they have to identify organizations that they're currently working with, other organizations that could be bought in that could be of interest to the diaspora, and then also the uh kind of as I say, the third leg of schools then having the diaspora recommend organizations that are important to them that maybe the bank uh may not know about. So it's critical for us to have a credible partner on the ground, someone else to help us vet and identify these organizations, and we've been able to identify who those partners are. And a lot of times it makes just good business sense for the partners to engage with the diaspora because both Yes Bank and Ken Commercial Bank both have diaspora banking uh, products. And one of their big challenges, how do they show their corporate social responsibilities to clients outside of the country? And this gives them a really efficient way to basically say, hey, No matter where you're at, if you're banking with us, we care about the community, we care about the causes that that you're connected to, and this is how we're basically helping you uh, interface and identify who those NGOs are. And that gives us a huge advantage in that it gives us an interface into the country and into the NGOs where we're not operating from 3,000 miles away. So, again, it gives the diaspora another kind of an extra person uh check down that they're looking for on the transparency side, knowing that these organizations are involved and they're helping uh facilitate the giving and sometimes even enhancing the giving by offering matching donations from their own foundation to certain organizations.
1: So there's a there's a lot more that's coming together in this uh, diaspora investment alliance than any one person might be able to do themselves. Uh, So it's not just a matter of, well, I already give and I I know the charities that I want to give to, but that there's a a bigger marketplace out there and a capacity to join forces with other expats and others in the diaspora that that you may associate yourself with, but also the ability to connect to well-vetted charities in a tax-effective way that is going to meet regulatory compliance. So it's a fairly complex process that the Diaspora Investment Alliance is, is seeking to smooth out to allow philanthropists to be philanthropists.
2: No, definitely. I mean, the, the process is very complex and kind of intimidating to us, and that's why the partnership with CAF has been very, so important to us in that it helps basically negate some of the complexities uh, that we've faced and we've identified in CAF with its ability and the services that it offers. It actually allows us to basically tackle this in a very constructive manner. But also on the other side, when we talk to the local country partners, such as Kenya Commercial Bank and Yes Bank, they also uh, like to lean on the CAF expertise as well, knowing that they also have an efficient interface and partner in the U.S. that's going to help them tackle this issue, which is complicated uh far as the giving. But we think, you know, with the right team and the right people in place, that we can actually answer some of these tough questions uh that have been confronting right. the diaspora and take some of the complexity out of out of right. the uh out of the equation. And by themselves
1: they would not be able to meet the US government regulatory compliance for tax deductibility of gifts to international charities.
2: Exactly. And I mean a lot of the diaspora they want to give more but then they're nervous, you know, they've got to you know, as far as the you know, the OFAC checks, the KYC checks, you know, they know there's a lot of things that go on and they could see a great organization but they're nervous about writing a check uh to that organization and this gives them a way to do so that it has the security that they're looking for and it gives them an opportunity to enhance to enhance their giving. So so this is about peace of mind,
1: this is about regulatory compliance and and transparency and secretary uh of state John Kerry highlighted the importance of diaspora uh community in the launch of Global Diaspora Week. What what does that mean to an initiative like
0: this?
2: No, I, I think, I mean, it means a lot that the State Department recognizes that the diaspora communities are a vital part, not only of the, you know, foreign policy, but also of just how we engage countries. I mean, they are, you know, a resource that the U.S. has as uh, far as, you know, how the community how the community functions, how the country may function. And they just serve so many different facets uh, that can be important and should, are important to the foreign policy dialogue. But also I think it's starting to pillow spill over into the humanitarian uh solutions as well is that the you know a lot of organizations, USAID and other organizations are just kind of taxed when it comes to, you know, they can get these they can get the resources there, but how do you effectively deploy those resources? And that's where the diaspora have the network and the knowledge of the local market to basically help do that better. And I think by creating these vehicles and creating these avenues, we're adding another leg to the stool, and not only can they basically help with policy issues, but they can also help on the philanthropy side where they're probably their, their prowess and kind of their, their potential has kind of not been seen or kind of not been felt by the market at its full force because it's been dissipated because of a lot of the issues that you've talked about already.
1: We only have a, a couple of minutes uh, left, and I want to make sure that – Um, Our listeners today, who uh, cover a spectrum of uh, high net worth uh, individuals, corporations, foundations, advisors, um, and charities that they support, Um, how can those who want to give internationally, give in a tax effective way, may identify with a diaspora, become part of this initiative?
2: Uh, sure. I think a lot of organizations, companies, when they look at the diaspora groups, they want to basically figure out how they can uh, enhance that group or basically be aligned with the group. We have one one of the major oil companies now that's looking to uh, do a project. They're actually operational uh, in the Near East. And they've come to us and say, you know, here's a c- community that we want to target. And we want to basically link up with this community. And it also provides them a safe interface saying, okay, Do you have a a structure that's regulatory compliant that we can give through, that we can also basically connect with the community in? And I think that provides kind of a a whole other aspect to it in that it also allows the diaspora to crowd in corporate donors and foundations who may want to align themselves to different things that the community's doing, but also they're looking for the transparency and the regulatory compliance uh, in that solution. So I think it's very, very important uh, we've seen this in the re- remittance sector as well. A lot of companies are looking to figure out how they show the diaspora, even the remittance market, how they connect and how they care about the things that uh, that the community cares about, because so this is an essential client base. So I think it provides a very unique tool for those looking to engage the diaspora from a strategic standpoint, for those where the diaspora serve as a primary client base that they can show uh the data. And community Alex, just as them. we're
1: wrapping up here, how would people be able to reach you? I know the websites and things of that sort are still under development, but how would they be able to reach you?
2: Sure. They can reach us uh here at Aspen. Our our email is uh D I A. Actually we me getting an email here. Uh is D I A diaspora d i a diaspora at aspen institute dot org uh they okay. can reach me directly so at it's
1: diaspora at aspen
2: institute dot
1: org yep and
2: aspen they can reach me directly, yeah, directly as well at alexander dot dixon at aspen dot org
1: alex dixon director of the aspen institute's diaspora investment alliance thank you for joining us today here on the CAF america radio network
2: Oh, thank
0: you. You've been listening to the Cap America Radio Network. Tell all your friends and colleagues to check out our production schedule. Sign up for our free newsletter and download our iPad and iPod friendly podcasts at CapAmerica.org. Thanks for listening to the Cap America Radio Network.